0: Isn't it our christian duty to give out that sacrificial love that costs us something but see people don't want to do anything that costs them something people want to stay in their little bubbles with their little church friends and their little sunday brunches and that's not what the gospel is that's not the gospel
1: welcome to the dismantle creating community not converts Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Each week we attempt to dismantle or take apart an issue that has the potential to be problematic within the church by dialoguing with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. If you've heard before on the show, you know we won't always agree, but we won't argue. Our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing views in a way that builds bridges and not barriers. Our guest this week is Christina Meredith. Christina is a foster care advocate, a mental health advocate, a national speaker, and the founder of the nonprofit Christina Meredith Foundation, a former homeless foster youth who was later named Miss California. Christina today dedicates herself to protecting children from abuse and advocating for foster care reform. Christina, welcome to The Dismantle.
0: Thank you so kindly for having me. It's a pleasure. It is a blast to have you on. Yes, it is. I am, I am ready to share my passionate duty to reform foster care and enlighten our country and our citizens and our church about the hardships that we can make a difference in.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to get into that. Before we do, Christina, would you mind sharing with our listeners how you got introduced to church and to faith? What's some of your religious background?
0: Okay, so I talk about this in my book in the first few chapters. Really, the Lord uh, came to me in a filthy laundry room just moments after I had been raped I was nine years old and I just felt this presence of peace presence of hope presence of love things that I had not really experienced before and I don't know how I knew that I knew but I knew it was the Lord and I it was this um, experience that I'll never forget and so I kind of I grew up in church. I mean, my my biological father was a Catholic, a very devout Catholic, and we went to Catholic mass several times a week. Um, and my biological mother, she was a Christian and had a Bible. And some of her friends would take us to church because she was always gone with her boyfriends. But you know, there was people in my life who exposed us to church. But really, that time in the laundry room is when I, when I met the Lord, and I knew He was real, and I was you know, I can remember it like it was yesterday.
1: Would you say that there's been a progression of your faith? I mean, people who come to, to God at a younger age usually attest to a journey aspect within that time. Would you say that that's true for you too?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been a, a relationship. I mean, a relationship just like any others is, is, is hard, is frustrating sometimes, is glorious, is amazing. It's Sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's walking. Sometimes it's crawling. Sometimes it's me flatted on the floor begging for mercy. (laughs) Hmm. You know, I mean, I think my relationship with Jesus is very authentic. And there are times when I'm shaking my fists at heaven going, Father, how, how could you let this happen? And there's times where I'm weeping out of joy that He would bless me with such kindness in such a small way that I would know that it was him. So it's like that intimacy. So definitely the journey, my journey and my, my relationship with Jesus is, you know, stronger than ever. And it gets stronger every day, but it's been painful. It's been hard. It's been joyous. It's been amazing. It's been mind blowing. It's been above and beyond any relationship I've ever had here on earth. Um, And I just love the Lord so much. And I just couldn't imagine my life without him for sure. Like there's no way I could survive this life.
1: (laughs) Hmm. That's awesome. And thanks for sharing that with us. So I've read a good portion of your book, Cinder Girl, My Journey Out of the Ashes to a Life of Hope. And it is heart-wrenching to read, uh, let alone to talk to you, knowing that this is your life story. But throughout your childhood, your parents were investigated by social services at different times. And You go to great detail and vulnerable detail, I might add, to describe the verbal, physical, and sexual abuse that was going on in your home. Why do you think it took so long for someone to recognize that situation?
0: Well, first, I'd like to say that that's a mild version of the actual true story because legally I wasn't allowed to say more than that. I think it took so long because when my mother left my father for the lawyer for the sheriff's department he had you know power and authority in a small town and that's a very real thing and so i think you know once they put my father in jail unconstitutionally and on a trumped up charge of spousal abuse it was very easy for them my mother and her second husband to get away with abusing us because he had so much power and authority as a lawyer for the sheriff's department um so I think that's why I went so many years of, of not being tended to, because what I mean if at one point you know Herman was running for judgeship, and in a small town that's a very serious deal, and I th- I just think again I think corruption in small towns is is an issue maybe not a deep seated one in our country but it's definitely it definitely happens and I think especially when it comes to children, there's a lot of people that would so easily turn a blind eye because who wants to get in that mess, especially with eight children on the line. I mean, let's talk about how overwhelming that could be, you know? So I think it went uncared for for so many years because it was just easier. It was easier to turn away. And if you study psychology on any level, they'll tell you that human nature is, it's easier to look away. You think someone else is going to take care of the problem.
1: Now you lived for years without hearing your real name as a child.
0: Oh yeah. My mother called me every name other than my name. (laughs) And, and, you know, she would force, she would abuse my siblings into abusing me by not allowing them to call me by my name, you know? And I think the vindication is what the lord is doing now i mean my name is about to be a national you know nationally known name and that to me is just his kindness his mercy on my on my wounded heart you know he's he's so kind to just allow people to know my name that that means to me because if you go years with having people call you things and you know, I mean, the names were so horrific. You tend to think that, like, what's wrong with me? Am I a monster? Am I a demon? Am I a whore? Am I, am I stupid? Am I a slut? I mean, and these are all things I'm thinking at nine years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. You know, never have touched drugs, never touched a boy, never. I mean, I was, you know, I still, I still to this day have never done drugs. And I still have never slept around. And I still, you know, I... I was never those things but even though I wasn't, it was hard not to believe that because for years and years and years I was told I was those things. So I think the vindication of the Lord just bringing my name to the public is just really kind of him. It's very, very sweet.
1: That's a uh, pretty badass of God to do that,
0: <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, he's so he's so kind. I mean, I wish people knew how tender he was. In, I mean, he's so tender and he's so gracious. It's just unfathomable to me that that people don't know the love of Jesus, that the love of the Father is real and it's for them. I mean, I'm a hot mess. I'm a hot mess like everybody else. Yet the Lord loves me. The Father loves me. Jesus loves me. I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I am chosen and appointed. It blows my mind that he would choose me. Like, are you kidding me? I, I have no wealth. I have no family stability. I have no recognition of name. I grew up abused in poverty. I was homeless. I mean, I don't have, I have nothing. I have nothing. Why, why would the girl? Why would the Lord choose a girl like me? Because of His tender mercies, He would pull the underdog up by her bushes and and put her on a lampstand. Because then no one could say anything other than, "Wow, that's got to be God." <laughs> right. You know, it can't be me. I have no accreditation.
1: Do you have any ideas or clues about why your mom would? single you out in in that nature from your other siblings
0: oh yeah I mean I've been I have been in therapy for years and years and years and you know my therapists all my trauma therapists were so incredibly brilliant and and so gracious to me and they all said the same thing she was projecting because my siblings all looked like my guinea father dark hair dark eyes dark skin and then there's me blonde hair blue eyes light skin and my mother is fair-skinned with, with light green eyes. And so out of all of the children, I most resembled her. I mean, I when you look at family photos, I stick out like a sore thumb. You're looking at a, a, a fan, a, an Italian family, and then there's me. <laughs> and so, you know, I think my mother was abused horribly as a child. And I just, I genuinely believe that she just projected onto me the hardship and the hatred she had for herself because of what she endured. Unhealed trauma is a real thing and it's a vicious cycle and it can pa- be passed down generation to generation, which is why I endeavor to work tirelessly to break the cycle of poverty and abuse. So, I think she chose me because I resembled her and it was it was I reminded her of herself, which could have been painful.
1: Now you say in your book that you haven't seen your mother in years.
0: I have not seen her since that Thanksgiving day.
1: Do you have a relationship with any of your other family members?
0: Yeah. my Some of my siblings I talk to quite frequently. The oldest, Raylin, I talk to her, gosh, every day. She is my biggest supporter. She's my, one of my best friends. Her and her husband are just so gracious and so kind. And um, yeah, I mean... Raylan has just been, she's been such a source of, of healing for me and me for her. And, you know, the relationships are still hard with some of my siblings because they're very close to my biological mother. Who's, you know, I haven't seen, so it it's a, it's a hard road, but it's okay. I mean, I allow, I just allow my siblings to do what feels good for them because I understand that we grew up in so much trauma that triggers are a real thing and and whatever makes them comfortable and whatever makes them happy is what i want for them right you know so it's hard sometimes it is it's very hard to have relationships with them because here i am 30 years old and i still feel like an orphan yet i have multiple blood family relatives that are alive and well today you know so it, it, the struggle is real that is absolutely certain i mean the family that i have, the fam- the people that i call family, they're not blood. They are those who've been in the trenches of me for the past decade or the past 8 5 years who have been supporting me in my endeavor to make a real change in our communities and our country. And so absolutely i think that is such a real struggle for people to to deal with every day. It's i mean Family is not always blood, and that's just fact. I find more family relationships in the body of Christ. You know, my mentors, and the three women that I pray with every day—that's family. You know, that's that I do life with them. You know, they pray over me, and I pray for them, and they know my ins and outs, and they know my weaknesses and strengths, and I know their ins and outs, and I know their strengths and weaknesses. That family. You know, that's reliable. If I was broken down in the middle of the night and I needed a ride or I needed gas, I would call them. That's family. Who would you call in the middle of the night if you were broken down on the side of the road? That's your family.
1: <laughs> now, it must have been a radical shift from living in your car and working several jobs to survive to then being crowned Miss California.
0: <laughs> oh my, it's <laughs> racks to That's for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was that like for you?
0: Um, it was, it was beautiful and stressful. I think part of me still believed that I wasn't worthy of such a title for one, and that I wasn't good enough to represent my cause. You know, here I am for years and years and years trying to make a difference in the world of foster care and in trauma care. And then I get this opportunity and I'm, I'm successful. And then the, the insecure, you know, anxiety filled, depressed, filled, terrified me is like, oh, I'm not ready. What did I do? (laughs) How did I manage to do this? (laughs) You know, and after a few months I was like, no, I am ready. This is my, what I was made to do. And I, I'm not terrified and I don't have anxiety and I can do this and I'll be successful. And I you know, again, I was cleaving to the Lord the entire time for him to give me strength. And part of me was just not a quitter. I'm not going to quit on myself. Even if I'm scared, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through the fear. And I think that's helped me a lot because I tend to be, you know, definitely like Gideon. <laughs> Several other people in the Bible who are terrified and the Lord's like, hey, don't be afraid. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, sure i'm not gonna do that because it's too scary and the lord's like nope don't be afraid i'm with you be courageous i'm like nope. pretty sure that's not what you have for me let me just stay home and work from home and be quiet and make pies for my neighbors and the lord's like nope it's not what's gonna happen (laughs) and so i think you know the adjustment from being homeless and destitute to being crowned miss california and doing what I do, in the beginning was a shock. It was like a culture shock for for me. And, but again, I mean, I worked through it and I pressed through. And a few months after, I was like, okay, I can do this. I do have the strength. I do have the ability. I do have the, the smarts. And here we are, you know, several years later. And I continue to progress and I continue to push in further into what God's called me to do without any fear. Trusting that he's going to support me along the way. And he's a very faithful one.
1: Now, speaking of what God has called you to do, talk to me a little bit about the Christina Meredith Foundation, your mission. Tell us all about what you're hoping to accomplish with that.
0: So the Christina Meredith Foundation was birthed out of my car. So when I lived in my car, I wrote down all of my dreams. Some I share in the book, some I don't. Um, The Christina Meredith Foundation was one of the first dreams that I wrote down that I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a nonprofit to reform foster care. That's what I'm going to do. And my nonprofit has a one, three, five, ten, 10 and 15 year plan. And my board of directors are also again, they're brilliant and they're so supportive. And our first, you know, 36, 72 months is all about advocacy and awareness, which is what I've been doing for the past few years anyways, to raise, so we can raise more funds. And then after that 36 to 72 months, depending on how well we are stable financially, we will put boots on the ground in cities and build half facilities with wraparound services to provide foster care kids and foster care young adults with everything they need to be successful, like they had a stable family to go home to every day. And and from dentist, dentist appointments to, you know, learning how to write a checkbook, to learning how to write a resume, to what to wear to resume, you know, there's rules if they, they can only stay for 12 to 24 months, if they're full-time school or full-time job, we'll have separate housing specifically for parents, the young moms and dads who have children, they will have daycare provided for them so they can complete you know, their obligation for school or work. And we will offer them 12 to 24 months of transitional semi-permanent housing and help them get on their feet so they can go out into the communities to include full-time trauma care, that's mandatory. Everyone who's there has to have trauma care to allow them to come back into society. Instead of the welfare and the prison system, they're breaking those, those bonds that have cursed them their whole lives. And they're giving back to the community and they're, you know, getting a mortgage or they're getting rent or they're getting a better job, you know, and and that's the goal is to really break the cycle of abuse and poverty and, and give these kids the opportunity that they deserve instead of just, you know, 18 or 20 to 21, because some states have this new rule, foster to 21, which is where they can stay in care to 21. And I mean, to be honest, most kids sh- bail ship because they're, they're tired and they don't want to be around the system anymore. And so it's really kind of useless. But we will offer these young people a real safe place to find footing, And I think that's what makes our my facility nonprofit so different is because I lived it and because I knew, I know what I needed and I worked so hard for so long and I was a good kid and I didn't do anything quote unquote bad and I still was suffering. And so I think the ability to give these kids what they need uh, relationally and professionally and um, mentally and physically, that will Really improve our communities and improve our country as a whole. I mean, 20,000 children age out of foster care every year and are homeless. 80% of those kids end up in end up in the prison system. It's despicable, but no one wants to talk about that. That's something people either don't know or, or don't care to know, and it, it's an absolute travesty. So my hope is to to really break those cycles and to really give back to our communities allow these kids a real shot at a real life and i always tell them when i go speak to these group homes or juvenile detention centers or you know communities and schools is a big program that i speak with and i mean wherever i always tell them what do you dream of being and these kids dream so big i want to be a doctor i want to be an astronaut i want to be a teacher i want to be a wife i want to be a police officer i mean they are their dreams are just like every other kid beautiful and big and just awesome and i tell them you can do that the only two things you need are good grades and a good attitude and you should see their faces when someone tells them that they can accomplish their dream like they've never heard it before like no one in their life has ever said hey you can do what you want to do you just have to set yourself up for it and i think you know the christina amara foundation does that it sets them up to be successful which is Which is the goal.
1: Now, one of the things that you mentioned and I think stands out in your book is how all the systems that are supposed to protect children failed you personally.
0: Yes, all they did. I mean, the system that failed me is a system that I have endeavored to change. So children don't have to endure the suffering that I endured. If the first abuse report was, was you know, paid attention to and was really investigated and was a, was done thoroughly, I don't think I would have endured the years of rape and abuse that I did. But, I mean, obviously that's not my story. I think anything that I can do to spare a child or a young person from enduring any type of physical, mental, emotional suffering. That's what I'm called to do. That's part of my mission.
1: Now, like you just mentioned, early intervention could be one of these things, but what kinds of changes do you think specifically need to be implemented into these systems to make sure that your experience isn't repeated?
0: The number one thing that I think will drastically improve a child's ability to heal and be rehabilitated back into a healthy society and community, is mental health care, trauma therapy, specifically. Trauma therapy should be mandated for every child in foster care until they are aged out. I know some states do trauma therapy on the initial um, day that they're pulled out of the home because, of course, being pulled out of the home is very traumatic. And they do trauma therapy maybe a few times um, during the the separation from the parents or the mom or the dad and and the reunification, but it's not permanent trauma therapy. It doesn't stay with that child until all of the storm calms down. It certainly doesn't endure after they've been reunified with their family, which just because a child has been reunified with their family does not mean that they're whole and healed and no, no, no. Like, so I think trauma therapy is, is absolutely essential to be mandatory for foster care children for years in order to heal from those types of wounds. The second thing I would say is, you know, I talk about this in my book, is how ROTC pretty much saved my life as, as a young person, as a high school student. I think a foster care, it should be encouraged, if not mandatory, to place high school students in JROTC programs. Everything that a foster care child is looking for um, acceptance, love, camaraderie, purpose, drive. I mean, all of those things I found in JRTC. I had a reason to get up at 5 a.m. every morning and meet my battle buddies to go to SEAL team practice and then, you know, do drill practice and rifle practice and all these things so we can compete in the national titles. That was such a distraction and a healthy one when I was living in and out of homes carrying trash bags everywhere. And so... I think putting making sure that foster care children are enrolled in programs, whether it's football or RTC or music, whatever they're into, that is essential. Because it's a positive reinforcement and it's stability, something that they don't have. Both of those things. So there I mean, on a practical level, those two things are the biggest part of, of foster care reform. On a more yeah, detailed in depth level, I mean, we're spending $80 billion on foster care. I mean, it is a disaster. And so uh, there needs to be some reworking, especially because most of the girls and boys in foster care end up in the prison system. Most of the girls end up pregnant. Most of the boys end up with felonies. I mean, there's just these statistics that are just too real to get away from, but no one's really handling the root problem. It's more like a shuffling it seems like, and it has been for years, it's it's like shuffling the problem around. And then once the child ages out, well, it's not our problem anymore. That's the attitude and it's despicable. So there's a lot more, of course, in depth and in detail, but right off the cuff, those are two practical things that can help children really, you know, heal from their wounds and, and end up being positive productive adults in their communities.
1: Now, a lot of this type of work, whether it's foster care or uh, family intervention, a lot of that comes from nonprofits such as Mm -hmm. yours and and similar uh, endeavors. In your experience, your personal experience, what's been the response to the foster care epidemic from the church?
0: Recently, in the last year or two, I have listened to the hearts of some prominent church Church people, I guess, is the name you would call them. And I think it's been positive. But also I think that there's still so much more we should be be doing. I mean, foster to adopt should be the church's motto. If every church in America adopted foster care children, there would be no more foster care children. There's half a million children in foster care. If all the churches in America decided, today's the day that we say no to unwanted children, then it would be over with half a million children is not i mean it's a lot but compared to the body that dwells that supposedly dwells within the united states of america that's nothing so to me it's i mean yes there's some movement and it's positive movement where people are actually being starting to be aware of the the foster care crisis but it's not enough I mean, we really need to get serious about taking care of our orphans and not just say, you know, well, I give to this nonprofit or, oh, it's too hard because I have kids. And, uh, you know, all the excuses you make, There, there's no reason to not aid and take in these children as as our own. I cannot wait to foster to adopt. It is like I have a list of top 10 things to accomplish that I cannot wait to accomplish, that's number two on my list. I won't tell you number one, in a few years I will, but I cannot wait to foster to adopt. You know, it's like, it's a gift. Will it be trying because the child has been traumatized and needs extra care? Well, yeah. Is it a sacrificial type of love, like a marriage? Well, yes, it is. But is it our, isn't it our Christian duty to give out that sacrificial love that costs us something? Yes, it is. But see, people don't want to do anything that costs them something. People want to stay in their little bubbles with their little church friends and their little Sunday brunches. And I go to my Sunday night Bible studies and I'm being a good Christian. That's not what the gospel is. That's not the gospel. The gospel is messy. Do you, have you not seen the cross? It is violent. It is hard. It is sacrificial. It is suffering. It is messy. And that is what the body of Christ should be delving into, the messiness of life and hardship. And if that does not describe the foster care crisis, then I don't know what does. I mean, but that's just my thoughts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) From a practical standpoint and and an application standpoint, what's something that you would say to, maybe it's your church, maybe it's a church or just church culture as a whole that would help us step into a better direction as far as foster care and, and aiding unwanted children?
0: I think what I would say and what I have been saying to the body of Christ and to everyone who will listen is it is our duty as Americans to adopt and love these children as our own. It's It's our American obligation to take in these orphans and to love them to a place of wholeness. Now that's just our American, that's just as an American citizen, that is our duty. Now as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as someone who says they have given their life to the Lordship of Christ, it is, it is not only your duty, it is your, it is your life to give yourself to another. It is your entire existence to sacrificially love another, especially the orphan. And so my heart is to stir up a passion in the body of Christ and say, hey, we could fix this problem. And not only can we fix this problem, we can eradicate it to where there's, the foster care system is not a thing because every child is immediately put into a foster to adopt home, which means every child who's pulled out of a home is placed into a system where they can be adopted as sons and daughters, and they can have mothers and fathers in a stable home to grow up in. And they can have a real opportunity of, of living their best life, the life that God has called them to. And so it is my absolute hope That the church of Christ would dive deep into what we have been called to do as believers and say no to self-preservation and self-security and and self and say yes to self-sacrifice, selflessness, and pouring out your life for the betterment of another.
1: Powerful, Christina. And and thank you for sharing that with us. As we wrap up our time, where can people connect with you? How can they learn more about the foundation? And tell us about your book.
0: So, (laughs) sorry, I get super passionate when I talk about this because it's such a, it just means so, it's everything to me that people realize the struggles that these kids go through and that, that you can really make a difference. You can really change the life and the trajectory of a child, and it's just I just get super passionate about. It. So I apologize if I'm so if I'm too overzealous.
1: If you weren't overzealous, I'd have more concerns.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it's easy to connect with me. I'm I'm on Instagram quite a bit. Uh, that's my biggest platform. It's Christina Meredith USA, and then I have Facebook, uh, which my team is not as active on, but I think that might change soon. It's, it's under Christina Meredith. And then I have a website, org. You can find out all about my book and, and nonprofit on there. And uh, I do, I write some blogs. I'm actually putting two new blogs up next week uh, as the tour starts. And you know, my book comes out uh, worldwide. It's pretty incredible. And I'm blown away that the Lord would do that for me. You can order it. If you go to my, uh, my website, org and click on cinder girl, there's a link to every to not every, but most companies, uh, bookstores, or whatever they're they're selling it. Um, you go to Amazon, Barth & Noble's, Christian iStore, iTunes, all that jazz. Um, and you know you can follow my story. And I'm really excited. The Today Show is is coming on Thursday to film me for the day, and then I'll start the tour Tuesday morning on the day of the book release on the Today Show at 9 a.m. So y'all can look for that and a handful of other live shows and. Um, I'm just really excited that God's using me and and, um, he's allowing me to be on the lampstand. It's, it's, it's humbling and it's weighty. So I'm, I'm excited.
1: That's awesome. And we'll make sure we list all that in the show notes, but again, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Yes, of course. It's my pleasure.
1: And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. During the month of March, we're supporting the Christina Meredith Foundation. Every rating and review that you leave for the podcast turns into a dollar that we donate towards foster care reform. You can leave those in the Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, or on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Instagram. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts.
0: Visit us at dismantlepod.com.